Well, this morning we're going to do, we're going to start a two-day, two-week series, and uh, I really debated the picture. I'm not going to show it in here because some people said, why'd you put that picture on Facebook? And we are calling it Snake Eyes, but here's why we're calling it that, because we're talking about the stages of temptation. That's why we're doing it. And somebody, you know, I know some people really, who, who really struggles with snakes? I mean, just the idea of them just freaks you out. Okay. That's actually a reasonable thing, and it's godly. I mean, it, I, mean the, I think God put that in us to, to be freaked out by that. Um, <clears throat> and some of us are, how many are not? How many actually, okay, really? Raise those hands again. You were kind of, so there's like 10 of us maybe in the whole building? Wow. Okay. Well, that gives us some, some, some point of reference. I appreciate that. Here's, here's something I want to start off with today. And, and I want us to understand this and think about this for a minute. You, you really cannot understand the Bible or the whole message of the Bible. And somebody here may be thinking, there's a message of the Bible? Yeah, oh yeah. The entire Bible has a message. Now, there's many stories, there's many illustrations, there's many, many laws, many, many uh, books of poetry. There's a lot in there, but the entire Bible has a message. It has a point that starts at the beginning and goes through to the end. And we're in the middle of all that, and we live that message. And you won't really understand it unless you start in the beginning and understand how this all got going. There's a great book written by John Eldridge called Epic, and he talks about the fact that this story of the Bible is our story. We are are intrinsically involved in the story, and it makes sense because... We serve a God who created us in his image, and we serve a God who is telling a story. Every story that there is borrows from that story. And I know you're sitting here thinking, wow, you're making this epic, big. I am, because I want you to get this. Not only does every story borrow from that greater story, every movie plot, everything you see basically goes along that story. And when it doesn't, you stop and say, wait a minute, that's, that's not right. That didn't go right. When there's a movie plot that doesn't follow the big story, maybe it ends anticlimactically or, or maybe the villain wins, you stop and say, well, this isn't right. And when you watch a movie that has all anti-heroes in it, like nobody's good, like you say, well, who was the good guy? There's no good guys. There's just lesser bad guys. It gets you at a deeper level because that's not the story. Let's, before we get into the actual sermon today, I just want to give you the framework of the story I'm talking about. Think about this for a minute. When God created everything, he created it good, very good. And when he says it's very good, it's not like me saying good. It's not like my dad used to joke and say good enough for government work. You know what that meant? Not very good. Like just getting by, like it'll do. That's not this. What God is saying is when he created it and it flows out of his nature, who he is, it's going to be not only good, but very good. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be idyllic. Now, maybe you have, have stepped into a scene in nature or seen a picture. I, I, love, I, I love too many things, I just, but, but still, I love nature. I love seeing the beauty of God's creation. And there's <clears throat> places I've been or places I want to go where you stand there and you think, this is perfect. And I know that's different for everybody. And even when I said that, I imagine you imagined something. A picture that at least in your mind was perfect. You have an ideal that is there. And if you can imagine, that's what God did. He, he set it up as good. Now, not to go off into this whole movie plot and all that, but just think about it. I mean, every story, every movie, everything's good, 
right? Something comes in and destroys what's good or takes away what was good or ruins what was good or captures something good. And then what ends up having to have happen? You need a, a hero. You need somebody to come in or a group of somebodies. If it's, if it's uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings, you've got a, a group who's going to try to make it good again. And then ultimately they battle the evil, right? And then everything is again set right. And we feel good. Because that's our story. It's your story. That's inside of us. You don't even have to think about it. In your mind, you know how things should be. One of my former uh, volunteers at Sheffield, they, they got, two of them got married. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's kind of like married, you know, high school sweethearts or something. You think, oh, that's just cool, right? It's a story. And they end up having their first baby, and then they get the news. There's a problem with the baby. And the baby passes away. And I remember sitting at that funeral. I, I, didn't, I, was, I, did, I didn't actually do the funeral at all. And uh, the pastor said, we all know this is not how it's supposed to go. This is not right. When I buried my sister, she's 10 years younger than me. It's not how it's supposed to go, right? We know that. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm just saying we know how it's supposed to be. That's not it. When you see things in the world that aren't right, you know intrinsically it's not right. You know because there's an ideal that God has set in our hearts, and we know that at one time it was very good. It was very, very, very good. At one time, if you can even imagine, there was no crime, no poverty, no sickness, no death. Things weren't broken. There was no broken homes or latchkey kids or abusive husbands. There was no drug problem, no addictions, no murderers, no child molesters. What God created was pure and perfect and pristine, beautiful in every single way. That's what it was. There was peace and tranquility. It was literally paradise. Paradise. But it was lost. Paradise was lost. That thing that we all can define at least in our minds, but you can never put your hands on because it's gone. It was gone. And it was destroyed and it was, it was gone. We know what's right. Based, it's just a deep truth that we know what it should be. We know what it should be. That's one of those proofs for God. The idea that every human being knows that the world isn't right. And there is a morality that's being violated over, even when they violate it. They know it's wrong, but they do it. There's a, there's a, there's a sense of justice and a sense of good and morality in every human being. There's no way you can explain that with, with random choice chemicals of evolution. The fact is, every human knows. And for the most part, they all agree. But now roses have thorns, and we've created weapons that can kill millions of people in one shot. So what happened to that paradise? Where'd it go? The Bible explains it like this. He says that sin entered the world. Sin came in. Sin came in. And you, you may ask a really good question right here. Why would a perfect God allow sin to come in? Couldn't he have just kept it all perfect? Couldn't he have just never allowed it to come in? I've had people ask the question this way. They say, if God is perfect and all-powerful, why couldn't he have just never let sin enter at all? It's a good question. 
It's a really good question. Think that through for a minute. If, if he were to have done that, well, let, me, let me step back a minute. See, sin itself isn't a thing as much as it is a negative choice. What God allowed in was free will. And why would he do that? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been better if he just set up us all as little robots that were just perfect all the time and love, 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 and joy, peace? And... I mean, I think there's times where we think that would be nice, maybe a nice place to visit. But here's the problem with that. That's not real love. That's not the kind of love that someone chooses. And God didn't want a bunch of little robots. He didn't want people who had no choice. He wanted to give us free choice to freely choose him. And inherent in that choice is the choice not to choose him. And in not choosing him, sin enters the world. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He, he has this trilogy. Uh, and in the trilogy of, of books... I know a lot of people are familiar with the, the Chronicles of Narnia, which are great, and he's written tons of other books, which are also good. But in this one book, he talks about, he, he has an Adam and Eve character, characters, and um, basically what he says is before they were given the choice, they weren't obedient or innocent, because there's no choice. They were merely ignorant. And in a sense, they weren't actually perfect in the sense that they had chosen good. There's no choice at all. It's not, the, it's not the apple and all of that. It's, it's more about the choice. It's about the disobedience. So let's, let's take a step back and take a look at that. I mean, for you to really have love, you need to have a choice. So what I want us to do for the next two weeks is take a look at how the enemy of your soul got our ancestors to make those choices and gets us to make those choices. <laughs> Here's what's kind of funny and kind of sad at the same time. Just like that whole story that we're part of and we understand the flow of the story, we continue to make the same mistakes that our ancestors made. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And why is that? We make the mistakes we made yesterday. Why is that? Why are we so slow to learn this? I think I have some ideas about that. And I'm not to say that I've already achieved it or figured it out. None of us have. But here's the truth. We have to know the enemy's tactics because... Maybe it's because we're so simple. He hasn't changed them a whole lot. He basically does the same things to us over and over. You've got to study his tactics. And anybody with a military background or police background or, or any of, I guess, gamers or whoever, it, the, idea, the thing is, if you want to know, you've got to study your enemy. You've got to study and see what they do. Now, some people would debate, you know, will Adam and Eve really people? or are they? You know what? The choices are the same. What they do, what we do is the same. I think they're real. Not only are they real, I mean, you had to start with somebody. And the fact is, the temptation and the sin is real. And that's what we're going to look at. Why do you need to know his schemes? Well, just like any military leader, you want to know kind of what, you, what you're up against. You want to know how, much, how strong they are, how, much, how many people they have. You want to know when, when I do this, what do they typically do back? You could, you could make it a football analogy if you're a sports person. And, and you want to know what the other team is going to do. That's what yesterday's games were all about, Right? Third play or preseason games, and some people are like, oh, they don't even matter. Well, they do it in a way. You're trying to put your plays in and see how they're going to react and respond, and you probably save some trick plays back so nobody sees them and you can spring them on them at the last minute. It's not really that different than what the enemy does to us over and over and over. The Bible tells us to be aware. He says uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. 
Now, you may be sitting here and thinking, I don't even think about him. And that's okay. I don't like to think about him either. But I do want to know what he's trying to do to me. Because he has a plan for you. We like to say that God has a plan for you, and God does. But don't forget, there's an enemy of your soul who has a plan for you. First John 1 9 says it. I mean, uh, John 10 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. Everything you love, everything you want, everything you like, everything that's good, everything that's beautiful, everything about you, he wants to destroy. And if he can't destroy you, he's going to destroy everybody around you and everything good. He's evil that way. That's who he is. That's how it is. But I have come, Jesus said, to give you life and life more abundantly. It's a pretty clear dichotomy. Good, evil. That's it. Simple. You got to know his tactics. How does this work? So let's take a look at this. The first thing he does is, and you need to understand this, is his approach is subtle and unexpected. Subtle and unexpected. This, it says right here, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. And you think about this for a minute again. And you think, um, hold up. <clears throat> where, did the ser- where did the serpent even come from? And why did God let him in? Again, he's not looking for robots. He's not looking for people who have no challenges. He's not looking for people who have never come up against a challenge and won. You know the difference, right? Think about your own kids, for instance. If, if they're going to walk, what's going to happen? They're going to have to stand up. You know that wobble, right? And you want them to walk, but what? You don't want them to get hurt. So you try to protect them. You put soft things around. If you have a fireplace, you, you pad the hearth, Right? You do that as much as you can, but they're going to get hurt, and it's going to hurt you to watch them get hurt, but you know that's what it takes to learn to walk. Remember, Grace isn't here. She's at school, but I remember she was an early walker, and we thought, oh, we're so cool. Aren't we silly? Like, we're smart parents. Our kid's walking at nine months. No. Oh, God, no. What a disaster that was. She would wobble and walk and just fly into things. Like, oh, God. And you go out places, and she's all bruised, and they're looking at you like, hmm. That one day she spun around and flew into the wood pile. We had a wood-burning stove. We, she got a chunk of wood in her cheek. And we're looking at each other. We live 30 minutes from the hospital. Oh, God, do we try to pull this out of this crying baby? I mean, that's real life, right? You have, to, you have to learn to walk. And you only do that by having choices and making choices. And real love has challenges to it. Could all the animals talk in the, in the garden? I don't know. We don't know a lot of things about it. But, but here's what I think sometimes people go to the Bible and they, they try to make it say or answer questions that God wasn't trying to answer. You know, there's a lot of things we have questions about it and that the truth is we don't know a lot of details about that. What we do know about is Satan's tactics and how he wants to destroy you. That's the message of it. That's what he wants us to know. So he tells us exactly about that. He gives us answers there. It's really crazy. Because... I like to do this. I like to try to imagine that scene. And I imagine Eve is walking around, and again, it's ideal. I really love to know what your ideal is and what that looks like in your mind. So I'm not going to tell you what mine is. Well, a little bit. I, I imagine her walking, walking next to this lake, and it's just, you know how sometimes they're glass? And sometimes you can see not quite a ripple, but it changes the colors where it's, it's kind of a blue and then a green, and it shimmers. You know what I'm talking about? And for me, it's evergreens that are everywhere. And as she's standing there, I guarantee you, when she woke up that morning, she did not think, I'm going to do something today 
that will burden all of humanity with sin and pain and death forever. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. She didn't wake up that day and say, today, I'm going to make a choice that will cause my firstborn to murder with his bare hands my secondborn. Guarantee you. We can learn something from that. We can learn something from that because his approach is subtle and unexpected. I guarantee you she didn't do it that way. Because see, here's the thing. We make a lot of choices and a lot of messes in our lives and it's not, what do we always say? I didn't mean to do it, right? You didn't mean to. But your choices still have consequences and you've got to be aware of that. Every single one of those choices. I can't tell you how many young people I've talked to over the years and they are, they are, <laughs> I hate to use this word too often, they are literally the product of their parents' choices. Whether that involved you know, illicit drugs or, or divorce or what they brought in the home or a dad watching pornography or whatever those choices are, you're talking to a child and that father, if you would have told him, this choice is going to shackle your son for the rest of his life with a struggle he will hardly ever overcome. He wouldn't have made that choice. Eve didn't know. She did not know. I guarantee you. Why would she think so? She lived in paradise, right? (laughs) Here's something you need to know. She wasn't looking for him. She was not looking for him. But he was looking for her. Do you see that? Can you see it, what I'm trying to say? The fact is, I know you don't walk around looking for trouble. Hopefully you don't, because if you do, you're not. That's another issue. Most of us walk through life and we're just living life, but the enemy of your soul is actively hunting you all the time. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. I know none of us have watched lions, unless you're watching Discovery Channel or something, but how many of you have seen like a cat in the yard and they just, you know what they do? And I always want to know, what are they looking for? Because you can kind of track their face and their head and you're looking, looking, looking. Like, what is that thing? (laughs) You know, sometimes it's stupid, like a bug or something. But then sometimes it is. It's just that little helpless little mouse. Now, of course, in your house, you want the cat to get it. I'm just saying. But, like, it's in the yard. and That's the enemy of your soul all the time. He wants to destroy you. And he looks for the right way to do it. He knows you. He knows how we are as humans. And he keeps on you. He's cunning in his approach. Here's the thing. When she spots him, we don't see this, and I don't think you would. She doesn't recoil in fear. Why would she? She was living in paradise. She had nothing to fear. The serpent, the serpent he's, he's so smart. Um, wouldn't it be nice if every temptation, you know, <laughs> do you ever sit and watch TV and those commercials come on for, for whatever drug they're trying to sell? And then the, all the disclaimers are longer than the actual ad. And you hear some of those things and you think, oh my gosh, who would ever take this drug? Yeah, you're going to bleed out your eyes. You're going to, you know, you know, I mean, come on. Wouldn't it be cool? Not that part. Wouldn't it be great if, if every choice you made that was sin came with one of those disclaimers? Hey, you can do this, and it'll be fun and enjoyable for the moment, but it'll end in pain and sorrow for a long, long time, and scars that'll never heal, because you'll always see that when you look in the mirror, and you will know, no, no, it will happen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Doesn't do it like that, right? 
Remember that old song, Devil with a Blue Dress? I mean, if he always walked around with the pitchfork and the horns and the tail and smelled of sulfur, you'd be like, oh, get away from me. I'm not doing that. Right? right? But that's not how it is. He comes and he's subtle and he's, he's smart and he knows what to do to suck you in. That's who he is. That's how he operates. You'd be on guard all the time. Let me just say one other thing. Her life was going really well at the time, right? Don't, don't we just kind of intuitively think, you know how when you're watching the movie and the music starts to get intense? Dun, 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 dun. Anybody remember that movie? Okay, yeah. Dun, dun. You know something bad's going to happen, right? You can feel it coming, and you're like, oh, God. My mom is so great. I, I got to stop telling you these stupid stories. My poor mom. Okay, because she didn't grow up watching movies, right? So she, if you go watch a movie with her, the intensity and all that, she's not as used to it. I mean, we're all, we've been seeing a lot of intense stuff for a long time. She would sit there and she'd say, do, do they know he's right there? Oh my gosh, mom, it's a movie. Yes, but, but he's right there. Is she, yeah, how come he doesn't see him? I'm like, mom, seriously. How many, how many times has sin come when everything was going great? When the marriage was going good and the job was great and everything was awesome. I think we think some way that, for some reason, that, that bad things happen when everything's bad. Well, of course they happen when everything's bad, but they also happen when everything's good. You better be on guard. Sometimes they happen right after a spiritual victory or, or something has gone wonderful and you've, you've worked something out and you're like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Just be warned. He is a clever hunter and he's hunting you to destroy your soul. Something else to notice here. Um, He's always been called the serpent, the devil. That's not new. A lot of people say, why did God use a snake? Because it's creepy? I don't know. All I know is that is what they call him, even in the book of Revelation. His approach is subtle and unexpected, and his strategy involves oftentimes conversation and controversy. You, you know, as humans, we, we operate on all these different levels. There's an emotional level. A lot of times we struggle to control because it, it just happens, Right? Anybody think of Star Wars right there? What was that? I do not know. Did you hear that? Some of, okay, I didn't know if everybody heard it or it was just me. Like somebody pulled out a lightsaber all of a sudden. and <clears throat> well, I, But I don't hear any music, so we're safe, I think. Okay, so I, <laughs> conversation and controversy. Let's look at what he does. He's a clever guy. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, I think it sounded more like this, did God really say, really? Everything turns on that word, really. Did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And then, and then she answers him. There's this really quick dialogue. It's, it's just three, three exchanges. Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's the only, only the fruit and the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said... You must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. It's interesting because he gets her talking here. He gets her in conversation. So I was saying before that lightsaber came out. Um, we, we operate on these two levels, and we got this emotional level, and then we have a, a, a mind level. Some of you have trouble sleeping because you can't turn your mind off and it just rolls over things and conversations and, oh, I wish I'd have said this and, and then there was this and this and this and then what if he does this and she does this and, and your mind just rolling 100 miles an hour, right? 
Some of you, it's the heart and the emotions where you're just, you just feel this foreboding or you feel worry or you're, you're, you're struggling, you're upset, you're hurt. and the, the two are sometimes aligned, sometimes not. What's interesting about his attack is it comes on a couple different levels here. And he starts it with conversation. He's brilliant, really. And in a way, he's challenging what she knows about God. What she knows about God's character and what he said. He literally challenges the words of God. The literal words. He's testing her. Here's the thing, though. She didn't know she was going to get tested that day. Remember? She didn't wake up studying. She didn't study all night before for the test. You're being hunted. You're being tested. You need to study every day. It's, I know it's tough, and some of you are like, oh, this is too much work. I can't take the pressure. And you know what? I'm sorry, but we're all in this. It's almost like we're trapped in a movie, and you don't even know it. You can't get out, and yes, you're being tested, and yes, it's happening. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it's happening. It was a clever question he asks. Did he really say? Did he really, really say? If you remember this really specifically, uh, she wasn't there when God said this. You realize that? She got it secondhand. So, you know, theologians have debated forever. Like, was she just in the background or in the distance? Or did, did Adam mess it up and tell her something different? Did she tell it different? How, how did she get it all wrong? I don't know. But I want to draw this principle out of this. <laughs> you need a firsthand relationship with God. God has no grandkids. He doesn't do the friend of a friend thing. You, you need to know him for you. You need to know him for you. You don't get in because your parents are really good. You don't get in because your friends are good or how many times you've been to church. You get in because you know him and he knows you. I, it still blows me away every time this thought comes to my mind that the God of the universe created me for a relationship with him. Me. Me. You, I understand. Me, not so much. And so a lot of times when I'm sitting there and I'm thinking it through, God, really me? You want to know me? Man, I'm just overwhelmed. You know what? In those songs we sang, the third song, when your dreams fall apart, you need to know him for yourself. You need to know that he answers prayer and he's done it before and he's going to do it again. You need to know that. It really isn't enough that other people have done it. He's done it for them. He needs to do it for you. You know people who've spent time with him and feel like they know him, know him, know him. You need to know him, know him, know him. Beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know him and he knows you. And that you have a relationship with him that nothing changes. No matter what comes in your life. No matter what disappointments. No matter who disappoints. That whatever it is that you know him and he knows you. And you know his character, and you know he can be trusted. I saw this recently where somebody was accused of a crime, and the wife said, well, if you didn't do it, then... And he's like, what do you mean if? Do you know him? When somebody says, and I apologize in advance if this is a saying you use, because I know a lot of people use it, and they don't think through the implications... Something horrible happens and they say, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm like, yeah. But the implication is God was doing something bad or evil or he's responsible for the evil. He's not. He's good. 
He is good. Now, yes, he'll take that evil and turn it into good things, but he didn't do the evil. When they say, yeah, you know, everything happens for a reason, I'm thinking, yeah, usually people and they're mean and dumb and evil and yeah, yeah, things happen for a reason because there's an enemy of your soul that's hunting you to destroy you. Yeah, things happen for a reason. It's just not him. When your career crumbles, crumbles and hope flees, you know it's okay though to doubt. I don't want you to think it's not okay. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to say, God, what's going on? I know the story. I know the, I know the big story. I just don't see where I'm at in it, and I don't see how you're going to work this out, and I need a hero now, and I need saving, and I'm at the end of my rope, and I'm out of breath, and every other metaphor you can think of, and I'm struggling here, and I need you to do something now. Yeah, that's okay. Read the book of Psalms. God can handle your questions, but know that he's good and know that he's here to save. So how well did she know the word of God? And how did she know, how well did she know God's character? The truth is the, diff, the, the things that she does and the mistakes she makes are, are subtle. They're little, they're little mistakes. But, but little mistakes matter too. I just want you to understand this. She had the general idea, but she was hazy on some of the details. Her, her, Here's the thing. When he said, ask her about the trees, she said, the trees. We can eat of the trees. What God said is every tree. I know that's subtle. But here's what it does. It starts to question God's goodness. Is he generous? Every tree. Yeah, he's generous. Every tree. Not just the trees. Every tree. Who is this God you serve? Can you trust him? It all comes down to that. Can you trust him? Can you trust that he's good? Can you trust that the rules he puts in place for us are good? Are they for your good? Because sometimes you're like, man, I'd really rather do what I want. And I'd really rather have this or have theirs, right? But his rules are good. And they come from a good place because he loves you. He wants to protect you and provide for you. That's what he does. (laughs) The next thing she does is something really interesting. She actually adds to what God said. She says, uh, it says in there that you would die, and then she says, you must not touch it. God didn't actually say that. He didn't actually say that. And then the last thing she does, uh, God had said, you will surely die, and she just says, you'll die. And I know that's subtle again, but she's changing what God is saying. Now, again, I don't know where she got it wrong. I don't know. But what she did was she interpreted things and changed them a little bit. And it changes and affects God's character. I would say this too. God's word is sufficient. You don't need to add to it. You don't. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if Adam maybe said, don't even touch it. Like adding that little measure of protection. You, you know, like we do to our kids, right? Like the oven is going to be hot. Don't even go near it. Right? I think in the heart of it, it's not necessarily bad, but, but the bottom line is, we a lot of times, we like to add little rules, don't we? And we like to add things that, I think they're meant for protection, but what they end up communicating is that God is restrictive and he doesn't want you to have this or don't, doesn't want you to have that, when in truth, he's generous and loving and kind, and his rules are enough. He's added the rules, they're enough. You love him, you do what he says to do, it's, it's, it's enough the way it is. You don't need to add to what he does. He doesn't need your help with all that. It's his nature to be loving and good and graceful. 
That's who he is. And when you're dealing with the enemy and temptation, you really need to know what he really, really said. You need to know the word. It's not enough that, that you think I know the word or that somebody you live with knows the word. You need to know it. You need to know it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple other things. Don't, don't dance with the devil. Now, when I was a kid, it was like, just don't dance. But I'm just saying, don't dance with the devil. Here's what I'm saying. When she started talking to him, why didn't she realize right away, this is not a good thing, and just say, out of my face, get away from me? Why didn't she do that? Why didn't she do that? She didn't do it because it's the same thing we don't do. And believe me, it's easy to judge them, right? Thousands of years later, and I can't believe they made that mistake, and on and on. But we do the same thing. We dance with them all the time. We're willing to make compromises where we know that's not what God wants us to do, or we know the heart is wrong, or we know that. Ravi Zacharias, he says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. We, We do this you just got to remember, he's an evil, evil, conniving thing. Don't be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That someone is you. Oh, my goodness. I think about this so much and think about the fact that we, we make all these justifications. We say, oh, a little bit won't hurt, or I can handle it, or it might be wrong for them, but it's okay for me. And, and hear me now. I'm not saying to add rules to what God has said. What I'm saying is you know what's sin. You know what it is. And you know the evil he intends for you. So be smart about it and guard yourself. Don't even, don't even play with him. <laughs> Look at this progression in the book of Psalms. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Stand in the, you could even say dance in step with the wicked. Stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Do you see that progression? That's how it starts, isn't it? One little thing, one little compromise. I'm just going to do this. I'm okay. Then you're sitting. or <laughs> I mean, you're standing. You're walking, you're standing, you're sitting. Boom. Let me, let me add to the dance thing. Don't dance alone, though. Have you ever looked at this story and wondered where Adam was? It's, it's funny. Humanity for all centuries, well, actually men, let's just be honest, have blamed Eve. Where was Adam? Where was he? We, we don't know for sure where he was. We just don't know. It's not said. My point is this. <laughs> don't walk alone. This Christian life, our life, is not meant to be lived in isolation. Isolation is a killer. Isolation is a killer when you're struggling with something, when you're, when you're frustrated, when you're going through deep waters. You need somebody there. You need somebody there. So random. Today, I, well, it's Mike Paulson's fault because he's a diver and something he saw, I saw something and it said the number one rule of diving and I thought it was going to be something funny and it was serious. You know what the number one rule is? Any divers here? Never die without a buddy. And I just laughed out loud. I mean, that was early this morning and I thought, never die. Seriously, why would you live this life, this dangerous life alone? And, I, and, and, and I, I know it's, life can be tough, and maybe there's things going on, and you don't, you're embarrassed. Or, I don't know. But I do know this. I know that if you're alone, what is the enemy? You know how tactics work, and, and you've seen enough animal shows. They just try to split you off from the herd and get you alone, and then you're defenseless, and you can't fight them off. And 
That same is true for you. Where was Adam? And why didn't he step up? And why didn't they together blow, blow the serpent away? Seriously, why? Why not? She should never have been alone. Shouldn't have been like that. She should have had somebody there with her. We're supposed to share each other's burdens. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to be with each other and carry each other and accountability and support and challenge and inspiration and somebody to talk to and spend time with and, and give to and help and give advice. And Sometimes you just need to listen. I was talking with somebody recently and it was one of those situations I was praying ahead of time. God, I have no idea what to say. Nothing, zero. God, nothing. I need your wisdom and this person I was talking to, they literally talked for an hour and a half. I'm okay with that. And then they said, thank you so much. I'm like, for what? I mean, really, for what? Like, I just, I needed to, I needed to say that stuff out loud. I needed somebody to hear, somebody to pray. I just, I just needed that. It's a powerful thing. All right, so what do you do? Let's do this. Let's fight. Can you fight? I'm not really a fan of running and hiding and all that. I know, I know that works in some situations. But we, we, are, we are fighting an enemy who is searching for you. He's an active search and destroy mission for you all the time. And hiding, hiding from him is impossible. He knows you. He knows everything about you. You can act like he doesn't exist and the temptation's not there, but that won't change it. It's there. My recommendation to you is to fight. And to fight with all the tools you've been given. You've been given tools. One of them, I mean, simple. We, we talked about this on Wednesday a couple weeks ago. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist sounds like you're, I, I know how it sounds to us in modern English. It sounds like we're saying resist, like I'm not going to let this happen. Actually, that word in the Greek is an active word. Resistance is active. Think of maybe the French resistance during the World War II. They were actually fighting just underground, right? You're supposed to resist actively. You resist his attacks because he's attacking all the time, and he will flee from you. You need to resist. But more than that, I love it when he gives us offensive weapons that are clear. Use your sword. Use it. Some of you are like, sword, I don't, I don't believe in guns, like, or whatever. <laughs> he tells us to use a sword. The sword is the sword of the Spirit, <laughs> which is the Word of God. Put on your, this is all from Ephesians 6, and there's a lot of warrior stuff. I'm not, I don't want to get into all that. I want to talk about the sword for a minute. Use your sword. Use it. <laughs> this, I know this is obvious. You can't use it if you don't have it. You can't use it if you don't know it. You need to know it. Now, people in this room, I, I look around, and I know some of you are Bible scholars. I should probably be going to you for advice on sermons and all that. I know, because some of you tell me stuff, and I'm thinking, wow, or, or you come up, and, oh, that sermon reminded me of this. I'm like, I wish... I wish I'd have thought of that and put that in there because it's amazing. And I know that some in the room are new at this. I've had some recently just say, where should I start reading? That's fine. That's fine. But here's what you need to know. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I've heard it said like this. You read the Bible, but what happens is it reads you. Here's something true. This is the only book you'll ever read which the author is not only alive and well, but speaking to your heart and mind through it the whole time. It's active. And I know <laughs> for some of you, you think, huh, that sounds interesting. I'm like, yeah, this is a supernatural thing. It's a spiritual, supernatural endeavor to open a Bible and read it. It's your best defense against temptation. Know it, read it, memorize it. You need to know 
all of it. I want to I end today very practical. I know for some of you, like, this doesn't feel like church if we end practical. But, okay, we're doing this. You need a firsthand relationship with God. You. You need to know him. You need to know him. And when I, when I touched on this point earlier, I intentionally left it, it hanging there because I, I was hoping that the Holy Spirit would start to work on your heart and you say, okay, if I'm supposed to know him, how do I know him? How do I get to know him? It's how you get to know people. There's so many, so many connections God has made for us. You want to know somebody, what do you do? You spend time with them. I knew you would say that. Because that's the most obvious truth of all. You spend time with him. It's a choice you make. You invest time in the relationship, right? You want to know someone? What else do you do? Come on, you know this. You talk to him. (laughs) Right? You talk to him. Now, the thing is, as we pray, a lot of times that feels like a one-way conversation. I I know that. As you pray, I just want to encourage you to, to build times in there where you actually listen but how, how is another way he speaks to you? <laughs> I know it's too obvious. Some of you are like, I can't say that out loud. It's too obvious. Well, let's, let's do this. Don't add to God's word, but you need to know his word. You need to know it. You need to read it. You need to spend time in it. And we're gonna, I'm going to give you just a couple things really quickly about that. But you need to do it. You need to hear from him, and you need to wait until you hear from him. This is something that we don't talk about in church a whole lot lately, but or over the years, but, but here's the thing. You want to know him, you commit yourself to know him, and you make time, and you wait and hear from him. You want to know that he loves you and cares for you, you pray for him, you, you sing worship songs to him, you spend time with him, and you wait on him. He loves you and wants that time with you more than you could ever, ever, ever imagine. More than you could even begin to want it. He wants it, he created you for that. Real quickly on these other points, just summary here. Don't dance with the devil. Don't even play with that. Don't dance alone. And then you have to know and use your sword. You need to know it. Now, a couple weeks ago, we did that thing with the video with the, the JBQ, and, and we have kids that, that learn the Bible, and it's good for them. It's good for you. I mentioned, I think, two weeks ago about that lady in the church who was so inspirational to me. She told me about how she had memorized the book of, I think, Galatians, and then she said she was memorizing the book of James. Wow. I said, wow, you you need to know him. You can listen to it. You can read it. You need to study it, get into it. It's, it's, It's something that's alive. You will never plumb the depths of his word. And I hesitate to do this because I know that people have different preferences. I'm gonna give you my preference today, okay? Here's what I use, and it's been great. Now, some people say, well, do you prefer like a book or do you prefer like electronic? I actually do prefer a book. But in my schedule, the electronic works best for me now because that's what people say. They'll say, what version do you recommend? Whatever you'll read, I recommend that. I do. There's so many good versions. People, people ask me, you know, electronic paper, whatever you'll read. Seriously. So let's take a look. This is the one I recommend. It's, it's called version. But if you, I don't know why they did this because it's confusing it is called the Version Bible app, but if you were to go online, you see on the very top there, it says Bible.com. It's confusing. I don't know why they did it that way. They did. Um, so if you go on this, this is what it'll look like. If you already need to sign up, then the sign up is in the upper right. I mentioned to you I helped someone in our church in their 90s sign up for this a couple weeks ago, didn't I? Didn't I mention that? I love it. Love it. 
So if you were to sign up, so I, if I sign in, and I apologize, David North, I didn't ask you for permission. <laughs> but if you do that, this is what the homepage looks like. See my little picture in the upper right? That's me. That's mine. This is my, my version Bible app. And then what it does is you, will, you can have friends and then see what each other's reading, encourage each other, that kind of thing. And these change all the time as people read things. So you'll see David read that two minutes ago when I put that on. Good job, Dave. And I could have said, good job, I should have done this because I was going to put this on the screen. If I would have clicked on that little heart, it would have said, good job, David. And that's also, isn't it good to get encouraged in your reading? Sorry, Dave, I'm encouraging you now in front of everybody, but you did a great job there. Um, so <laughs> there's a lot of things I could talk about. I don't want to confuse you. I just want to focus on one thing. And right here is this plans. See the check mark on the top left where it says plans? If you click on that, once you've got an account, it shows all these plans. Now, you can have your plans, which I didn't highlight. Instead, I'm looking at the Discover plans. I just want to show you what you can do, a tool that you can use to know him. It's about knowing him. Somebody said, oh, I looked at this plan, and I didn't like it. I know. Find another one. There are thousands, and I don't like a lot of them, but I find one I like, and I read it. Right now, I'm reading a through the Bible chronologically in a year study. That's what I'm doing personally. It's, it's different than what I've done the last few years, but I'm really enjoying it. It's different approach. But you can see here, there's all these different ones. Anxiety detox is that one that's cut off there. Just Jesus living his words. I don't know what that one on the right is. But then it, it comes down here and it shows all of these topic layers you can do. And then if you were to scroll down a little more, it, it has a bunch of topics. Do you see all those? And then right here, if you keep scrolling down, I'm not even going to show you all of them because there's so many. I'm just going to show you three of them. But you can see, well, let's go back, sorry. So this one is a bunch of ones on marriage. This, these, oh, it's still on marriage, I guess. And dating and new to the faith. And then through the Bible and work and leadership. And shut your eyes with me if you would. As I was praying for you about today I kept kind of talking with God about but this sermon's a lot about sin not about the Bible and it ends on the Bible and he said why would you talk about sin and not give him the tool the main tool that helps him with sin I can't tell you how important this is can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who've been walking with Christ a long time and maybe had a moral failure and you talk to them and the thing that had dropped out of their life was their daily time with God. Think about it. You spend less time, less and fewer, and less and less time with your spouse, it's easier to be attracted other ways, right? You spend less time with God, it's easier to fall into mistakes and sin. It just is. I want you to have a vibrant daily relationship with the God of the universe, the one who created you, the one who knows you, the one, the one who loves you and wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. That's what I want. But there's an enemy of your soul who is in constantly, he's hunting you, hunting you, hunting you. If you could get a grasp of how much he hates you and wants to destroy you and how subtle he is, and if you could get an idea and a picture of that, a true picture, and then to see how much God loves and cares for you, you would run to your father. With everybody's head bowed, eyes closed for a minute, just want to ask a quick question here. And 
I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because I know that, that there are those of us in the room right now who are really struggling with some area of sin. And as I've described these things, you've realized that's you. That you, you've been dancing with things that you know, you know, you know are dangerous and lead to destruction. You know it. You know it. There are some of you who are in a situation already where you know you're, you need to fix this. You need forgiveness. Here's the beauty of our God. When I was talking about his character earlier, not only is he love, but he is grace and forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, every single thing. Some of you are sitting here today and you do not have a relationship with him. But as I've explained this, you understand it more and you might be ready then to start that relationship. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, I know I have things in my life I need to get forgiven. I need his forgiveness and I want a relationship with him. For this, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If that's you this morning and you want to start that relationship and we could pray with you about that, would you please just raise your hand and we will pray with you. Anybody at all? I do see that hand. Appreciate you raising that hand. Anybody else? All right, as we close in prayer, I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'd like you all to repeat after me. And what I'm going to pray is that that simple prayer that God would come into our life, forgive us of, of any wrongdoing. Would you all repeat this after me? Father God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that were wrong. I want you to come into me and make me new. I want to live for you. I want to live with you and you through me. In Jesus' name, amen. And with your head still bowed, let me just pray with you again. Father, I pray for everyone in this room, all of us as human beings who, who walk this, this world under constant attack. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us just give us a, give us, give us a heart that, that is drawn to you at every moment. Father, I pray for these who, are, who, who maybe haven't spent time in your word, that as they start to do that, that you would make it just come alive to them. And I pray as they read it, you would show them things that they'd never seen before, that you would, you would literally show them things in their life and, and about your plan of salvation, and you would open up whole new worlds to them. It would be just, just an amazing, living, breathing book as they read it. Father, I pray for those who are struggling with sin, even as we speak, those who, who as I was talking about that, that you were, you, your Holy Spirit was pricking their heart at that moment. I pray, God, that they would come to you, that they would ask forgiveness, that they would change everything in their life. God, protect us from, from temptation as you told your disciples to pray. We pray that this morning, that you would protect us from temptation. We want to live in victory to you, and we lay these things at your feet. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Pastor Jeremy, if you would come and close us out.